Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and on this festive week, I'm joined by Patty Barkley, Tony Evans, and from the Great Northeast, George Culkin. This week, we'll be taking a look at Newcastle against Manchester City and Villa v Spurs. We'll also be doing some quick hits, Rooney's goal drought, Johan Almander's tribute to Avi Cohen, and can Mick McCarthy keep Wolves in the Premier League? Also in our debate, we'll be taking a look at all-time greats. Should we really be comparing players from totally different eras? So please strap yourself in and stick with us for the next 35 minutes or so. All right, let's get started with our Premier League review. And um, I think this week, because we have George Culkin with us, we really need to start at St. James's Park. But before we go there, uh, we haven't had a show since the wonderful rapprochement between uh, Carlos Tevez and Manchester City. Um, gut reaction is there's more here than meets the eye. Tony, what do you think? I think those kids were made for each other. I knew they'd stay together. You know, it's, uh, there wasn't going to be no ugly divorce there. And you know what? It gave me a warm, fuzzy glow before Christmas. You know, that made my holidays. <laughs> I wish I wish you could see Tony's face right now. Uh, uh, Patty, um, is it amazing how these things just sort of sort themselves out? Yeah, it is. It's a bit like the Ferguson Rooney one, uh, maybe less messy. But uh, no, I'm I'm really really glad that uh, Tevez is, seems to be staying with Manchester City. I think uh, they were made for each other, and playing for Manchester City, he's played the best football I've ever seen him play. Um, George, uh, I, I was actually a, I was talking to a, a former uh, Newcastle player last night for, from Trinidad, um, and he made the point to me that um, uh, obviously he was there, he was there with 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 Tino Aspria, and and he just made the point that at the time you know Tino possibly a little bit of a, a volatile mind, but um, possibly <laughs> just a little bit, um, but he said that in the way the Premier League is today, and possibly the way the way City is today. It's a little bit more welcoming to uh, uh, to the volatile minds, uh, maybe because there's more of them, or maybe simply because there's more foreign players. Um, and it's not xenophobic coming from Shaka, because of course he's a foreigner himself in the sense that he has about seven passports. But um, do, do, do you buy into that? Um, well, I, I mean, you know, the city are having to create something on the hop, aren't they? they? It's not about sort of organic growth. It's about it's about sort of jam packing everything in straight away and then hoping it kind of works. And I think because of the level they're at, they're having to bring in characters that they wouldn't necessarily be wanting to bring in if they were, you know, Man United or, or Arsenal or, or whatever. So um, they're not going to get the very, 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 very best top three players in the world at this stage. So they're they're sort of going one step beyond that. So I think that volatility comes with that. You see that quite often with clubs that are promoted as well, actually. But, I mean, I have to say that Tevez was absolutely brilliant yesterday, I thought. He was uh, not only scored two goals, um, but was the sort of heartbeat of the, of the City team, led by example, um, hungry, energetic, determined, and absolutely no sense of questionable commitment. So, 
uh, for now, for now at least, it it seems to be sort of. Um, they seem to have come to a sort of arrangement that's working, but uh, no, he was he was great yesterday. George, just just staying with you, I I, I watched this game um, and uh, on on the Magic Dish, and I have to say, I I thought you know Newcastle go two goals down, but I thought there really was a tremendous reaction there. I thought the game was exceptional um, in the second half, and and not just entertaining in a car crash sort of way as we sometimes see, uh, but. I thought Newcastle actually played well, maybe slightly monothematic with with Carroll, but 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 it was working. Um, when you see this kind of reaction from Newcastle, I mean, what do you put it down? Do you, do you put it down to Pardew? Do you put it down to the environment? I certainly don't put it down to Pardew. I don't think there's anything sort of different yesterday that Newcastle haven't shown under Chris Chris Hewton, and that includes the frailty. I mean, the two the two mistakes they made. You know, effectively killed the game within within the first five minutes, and I think, you know, while City sort of did pretty well after that, they they also don't don't yet have that killer touch that you know that they're going to hit teams for three, four, five, six. So I think they, you know, the, the the two parts of it was that they stepped back a bit, and Newcastle had no choice but to go forward. And you know, Andy Carroll's radar wasn't quite set right yesterday, but in terms of winning the ball in the air, he was absolutely everywhere. And um, you know, again, you see what a, what a great player he is. But you know, there were, there were very familiar themes with Newcastle's uh, season within Newcastle season, which includes being a little bit frail at home, which includes making mistakes, but also includes that great spirit and tenacity they've got. Um, but they don't have a huge squad. If your first change is bringing on somebody like Nile Ranger, if you've got Wayne Routledge on the pitch in the first place, you know, I think that shows that shows a little bit of the problems that. That they that they that they still have, uh, Tony. I, I I have to ask this. This has long been a pet peeve of mine, and and I'd love to know wh- where you stand. I mean, Andy Gray has taught us all that it's impossible to jump without waving your elbows around and elbowing uh, defenders in in the head. Um, I look at Andy Carroll, and I appreciate the guy might be a, a physical freak of nature, but I'm absolutely shocked by how a guy so big and so heavy jumps so high stays up there, manages to jump so high without a run-up, without elbowing people in the head. Um, is Andy Carroll the exception, or is uh, or is Andy Gray maybe just kind of justifying strikers who like to elbow people in the heads? Well, Andy Gray was the king of the elbows, wasn't he? You know, it's, uh, so, I mean, but no, it's technique, isn't it? You know, and one of the things that you often see these days is really bad heading technique. I mean, it, it appears they don't teach kids what they taught us. You know, so keep, to head the ball down. Open. Yeah, keep your eyes open. <laughs> head the ball downwards, you know, and then... Um, but he defies gravity because he stays in the air. He hangs in the air like he's some kind of yep. bat. Yeah, but Gab, you know from watching American sports, you know, you watch from watching basketball players, they, you know, they practice jumping and they can do this. You know, it's a, I, I don't mm. think a lot of forwards in this country actually practice jumping in the sense of getting higher, you know, technically, you know, how to how to do it, the mechanics of jumping high. And, you know, that, that's what I'd be doing. I'd, I'd be having them doing that. Just just stay with, with, with Carol. One last thing. Um, uh, George, it, I mean, you, you've seen a number of, of Newcastle centre forwards and so on. Am I getting a little bit carried away and, and am I a little bit sad that, like, well, I mean, to me, one of the best things he did was the, 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 there was a cross uh, which was which was mishit. It was, it, was, it was basically hit way over him. He jumps into the air and then he somehow stays back up there, cranes his whole body backwards, still gets to the ball, and he knocked it down, I think, for Nolan or something, who then screwed his shot wide. I don't know if you, if, if you recall the incident. Am I getting carried away? Did you? Did are you taking this athleticism from from Carroll for for granted, or and is it athleticism, or is it as, as Tony said, also technique? 
Well, it's both. I mean, his, his progress has been absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it's kind of uh, it's it's happened so much quicker than I think most people would have thought, including me. I didn't think he was ready last season. I wasn't sure he was going to be ready this season, and it's. Um, you know, I've proven to be completely wrong. Yet, you know, yet again, he's been absolutely superb. And yeah, you're right. It's not just he isn't just a sort of monster in the air. He's also worked on his mobility, and um, you know, he, he's good in that respect. He's good at finding space, and he's he's he reminds me of Alan Shearer in, in the sense that he's able to win free kicks in in dangerous areas, and also in the way that he de- he defends as well. That he's back for corners. He's the first line of defence there, and. Um, no, he's he's he is terrific, and you know as long as he as long as he continues to stay out the wrong half of the newspapers, mm-hmm. um, that that progress that progress will continue. He's I think been, he's, he's already got better, better feet than Shearer, George. In fact, I would go that whoa, far. Whoa, 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 yeah. Well, well why, why don't we have that argument when he scores twenty-seven hat tricks in a season <laughs> the way Shearer did? I'm, I'm talking yeah. about the footballer. I'm not talking about the statistics. I mean, they'll speak for themselves. I think as a footballer, his technique is astonishing. Uh, that I can't actually see anything that he doesn't have. I mean, there was a turn yesterday yeah. that was you could have you could have thought it was Marco van Basten out there. Well, it's it's rare I think to see an English six foot three centre forward even think about think doing something he, like that. If he wasn't a good footballer, if he didn't have good feet, he'd be still pretty good. But the, it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the lovely touch he's got that, uh, that, that, that makes him something really extraordinary. Moving on now to uh, Villa and Spurs. We will get to the Defoe sending off because I know that's, um, that's an issue with, with, with Paddy, but um, I just want to get a quick whip round uh, the, the, the table here and um, I just want to know, who's on the Tottenham bandwagon? Who really believes that Tottenham can finish top four again in um, in 50 words or less? Tony. Well, I, I sort of did before yesterday. You know, sort of, they, they didn't see the game out like a top four side would. They lost a bit of composure. It was all a bit frantic towards the end. And they didn't hold the ball. I was expecting them to hold the ball and pass it round. Um, they, they were down to 10 men, to be fair. Yeah, but good sides against a, a clueless and hopeless Aston Villa. Generally can do better, or should do better. Paddy? I think the possible uh, top four side, I mean, it might be uh, fighting for uh, that place with Manchester City, so it won't be easy, but I, I, I don't see why not. I think Tottenham, I didn't like the goalkeeper yesterday. I thought he was a terrible weakness. The, the, the other thing I didn't like about them, and it was the tendency to want to play football in bad areas. I mean, Hutton, like, uh, you know, so the 2-0 up, down to 10 men, they're under a bit of pressure, he starts dribbling the ball out. You he's know, a for, Scottish Cafu, yeah, what are you going to do? And, like, he tries to be two men, he's the last man, he tries to be two, are you yeah, insane? That's part of the reason why they're so, they've been so good to watch this season, I mean, they've, they, they have so, had that. Is, is, that, is that good to watch? I, if, well, it it well, you sends know, me insane, I don't think it's good to watch, I think it's crap football, like, it's entertaining, know, you're, if you like you, that, you, but if you want entertaining, go to the circus. I want to see good football, especially from top four teams. Uh, it's a fair point. You know, you've you've grown up seeing seeing Liverpool win countless games one 0 I don't I don't know. I think I, I, I think there's a, I think there's a I think there's a kamikaze element to Tottenham's football, which which has been four threes. Enjo- I saw a lot of four threes. Enjoyable in Europe and and in the Premier League, but they do they do play they do try and play the play the game the right way. Which they, I think they'll is, get um, hit by the better sides, especially in Europe. The last possibly. sixteen. But I, th- I think it's great that they're 
that they are that they are in the top four again. I, I did think at the start of the season that it would stretch them actually being in being in Europe, but they've um, they've just about managed to hold on there, and they've they've certainly got a chance. They, they're great to watch. Um, I, I I personally think they have. Uh they have a ways to go, I think, defensively. They're really, you know, against a poor Villa side on a poor day, and yes, they were a man down, but I think they're still, they still have a lot of ground to make up. Back to Jermaine Defoe. Um, he was sent off. Uh, again, Atkinson got pilloried for this on television, and people pointing out that there was no intent, which I think we all know really doesn't really matter, uh, and that he was leading with the arm and not leading with the elbow, which is kind of interesting because I thought, thought the elbow is actually part of his arm, but you know, Defoe's always been a bit unusual. Uh, Paddy, would you have sent him off? Look, if you hit somebody in the face, you're off. Uh, I don't think there was an argument, and I, I found it rather odd. I thought the, the, the people making excuses for him were, uh, were just making fools of themselves, to be honest with you. I also thought he was making a fool of himself by either feigning or displaying uh, astonishment at the decision. To me, it was a good decision. I'm, I'm not particularly crazy about Atkinson as a referee, but I think thought it was a, a very good spot a correct decision and uh, borne out by the replays any dissent um, get him off you yeah. know you, right. you whack someone in the head yeah. what do you expect I mean p- people say oh it was only his arm but if you walk up to someone <laughs> and hit them with your arm you're <laughs> still off aren't you yeah. I, th- I, th- I think I think Defoe's innocence was was genuine in the yeah. sense that I, so what that says to me is that there needs to be a bit more education here about, yes. as we were talking earlier, about how to jump and about how dangerous the, the elbow can be. I mean, it is a if you get caught by the tip of an elbow at high velocity, then um, you know it's a, it is a life-threatening uh, you know injury potentially. So I, I think there does need to be more education about about the dangers of it and and how to jump. I don't think I don't think Defoe did it. I don't think Defoe did it on purpose for. A single minute as I was on the ball, but you know you are you are um, you are threatening someone's health very seriously with that with that kind of jump. Now it was another incident late in the game, which um, I don't know how many I don't know if it was a match of the day or how many people caught this, but. Um, at one point, Villa chases the game. Robert Perez is on. Perez, who is a rather wily player, I think we can we can say that in a nice way. Nice enough guy, but when he needs to get a little dirty, he knows how to do that. And there was one situation by the sideline where he clearly obstructed. I think he'd fallen over. He was clearly obstructing somebody who was trying to get away. Um, and Harry Redknapp jumps out, j- j- jumps off his bench, goes, and clearly and very audibly uses a... a, a Pretty go, obvious obscenity. Away word, yeah. Yes, industrial language, I think, is what some might call it. Um, and he has a face-to-face with Perez. Now, I have no idea if Redknapp apologized for this afterwards I or, or if we saw it. I'm just wondering, should we treat it differently when we have managers who are on the sidelines who go out and confront players like that? Um, or should we treat managers the way we treat players? In other words, heat of the game, get away with whatever you want. What are you suggesting that, you know, we stop people calling each other names? No, I mean, I, I'm you know, suggesting that maybe we, we maybe we stop a man in his 60s from getting up off the bench and having a face-to-face stare-down with, with, with a player and using the F-bomb on him when, you know, that, that, that could have that could have led to something ugly, no? Right, ultimate storm in a teacup. 
ultimate stone in the teacup. If we start trying to legislate against people swearing and other people yeah. in a game of football, then we've gone too far. Send them off when they co- cause vis- physical violence. But, you know, a man jumps up, a little bit of handbags on the sideline. Who the hell cares? Okay, so I guess they took the bit in the game about, and uh, laws of the game about foul and abusive language. That's out. Mm. It's, I think it's isn't it foul or abusive language. It's changed now. Always it's, a bit, always a bit actually, unrealistic. Graham Paul explained it to me. Ah. It's out now. It used to be foul or abusive language, mm-hmm. um, so that uh, ah. now, now it's changed, as he explained to me. Um, it must be foul and abusive. Yeah. So basically, if, if a striker shoots on goal and screws a shot wild, and he's you know uses an obscenity and, and at himself, that's fine because it's foul and it's abusive. By the right. same by the same token, if so uh, that means that you can call a referee a cheat. But you can't call him an effing cheat. No, because when, when, if, when you, I, if you call someone a cheat, you're only being abusive. You're not being when, foul. When, when, when I, when I referees, if someone if someone swore at me, I generally let it go. If they call me a cheat, I'd send them off. Okay, yeah. but, okay excuse me, Tony. I know a little bit about your refereeing career. I believe that was in like South Central LA, where you were refereeing people with guns. A lot yeah, of people yeah. did remark, "He is no Alison Rudd." <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a, I was the bringer of justice. <laughs> um, I, George, I, uh, one point here about uh, which I find interesting. And I know that I believe there was uh, there wasn't a similar case in Newcastle, or, or at least in the Northeast, a few years back. But um, I read, I read in a Sunday paper, which is also uh, accessible behind this very same paywall, um, that uh, Stephen Ireland, who makes something like sixty-five, reported think sixty-five grand a week, um, he still lives in some in near Manchester. Yeah, and he's commuting to Villa's training ground 75 miles each day and Julier has asked him to move and he's refused saying that well there's some other players who also live far away and uh, they're not moving now George I'm no physiotherapist but wouldn't spending a you know sort of what two and a half hours uh, a day I'm assuming he drives a speed limit um, in in a car Immediately before and after training, wouldn't that be kind of a isn't that kind of a stupid idea for for a guy who actually cares about his future as a footballer? You know, I don't. Yes, like you, I don't know that side of it. It can't. You wouldn't have thought it can it can help. But you know, then again, people who live around London probably have similar length of journeys to to get across to get across there at in, in rush hour. I mean, to me, it's it's more about you know it's more about that commitment to where you are and sort of respect to the football club, respect to the. Uh, to supporters and I do think it creates I do think that creates a problem I, I, it, maybe it sounds you know it might sound a bit daft but you know if you're if you're if you're playing for if you're playing for a football club you should be immersed in that area you should be immersed in the city that you're playing in and you should you should be part of it and I, d- I don't see how Stephen Island can be like that if he's if he's so far far away and you know particularly at a time when um, his his football power seemed to be on the wane so so very badly. Um, you would think that he'd want to commit himself to 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 the club that bought him and you know show that his heart's in it. And mm. I, I do think that might create a little bit of tension around the dressing room. That, it it know, depends. It, I would I would have thought it depends entirely on whether it's in the contract. And most footballers are tied by contract in terms of where they can live. Well, the England manager has to live within 25 miles yeah. of Soho Square. Yeah, and uh, even the, uh, and they've moved the goalposts, haven't they, to Wembley? But um, in every Manchester United player uh, for the last 50 years, ever since Matt Busby uh, took... Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Charges had to live within I don't know how many miles of of uh, the training ground, four or five. You know, I mean, mm. it's it's you've, uh, maybe maybe ten. I don't know, um, but. Uh, that's it's just the standard contract. Now it may well have been that the previous manager of Aston Villa was so desperate to sign Stephen Ireland that they took that out of the contract. In which case, Stephen Ireland has every right to stick to his contract. George, um, would it be safe if you were if you were a Villa fan? I mean, from the club's perspective, is an anonymous sort of 12, 13, 14 season where you get a lot of playing time for the kids? And then you sort of, you know, live to fight another day next year without the Heskies and Friedels and, well, <laughs> you're stuck with Richard Dunn because of the giant contract Martin O'Neill gave him. But um, would, would that be such a bad thing going forward? Well, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of interested in the Richard Dunn situation, actually. I mean, I know he's got a, g- a gigantic contract, but 12 months ago or, you know, maybe a bit before, he, he was he was outstanding. And I've always thought he's a great defender. I don't know. It seems to be a bit of a failure of management that he seems to have just been discarded uh, by, by Julian, so that that makes me that makes me a little bit sort of. If I was a Villa fan, I might be a little bit nervous about about that. Um, yeah, uh, that would be acceptable if that's what you guaranteed. But you're not, of course. And at the moment, they do, you know, they do look uh, they do look in trouble. All right, moving on to our debate. Every year around this time of year, you know, p- p- people love their lists and the endless debates and the issue of where Messi and Ronaldo rank with the all-time greats come up and. I was thinking about this, and I actually wrote about it in in, in, in the paper today about how about sort of measuring greatness. And mm. uh, I watched Dead Poet Society again, which is always on this time of year. And if you remember, in the uh, in the you know, there's a scene where Robin Williams gets very angry in the introduction because uh, he's got he's got this poetry book which says that oh, you can plot on a graph the greatness of a poem in terms of uh, importance and perfection, and you know the greater the area um, that you can establish it that way. And it kind of strikes me that there really are no objective, or there are very few anyway, objective parameters for greatness, and that. Hmm. You know, we, we, it's a given. People always say, like, "Oh, well, you can't compare players from different eras," and it seems like an easy cliche, but it, it, it is kind of true, right, Patty? Yes. I mean, I always think of Shankly Paisley <coughs> on that. Shankly, in my opinion, was undoubtedly a great manager. Paisley wasn't, um, and yet, if you add up the trophies, Paisley was, and Shankly wasn't. So, uh, greatness is in the eye of the beholder, and I think we're lucky in that we can... Re- we, I, I, I think there's so much greatness in the game today. We are living greatness. Ronaldo is undoubtedly a great player by any standards. Messi is undoubtedly a great player by any standards. Xavi is undoubtedly a great player by any standards. And I can't remember the last time when the battle for the uh, player of the year was more of an open contest. I mean, I think the game, from that point of view, is very, very healthy. Football's interpretive. You can't quantify it. You know, all this attempt to uh, statisticise football mm. is just ludicrous. And, and so, so in many ways, it, it, it's the perfect, you know, that is the perfect uh, analogy, yeah. poetry. Yeah. Um, I think the difficulty in... Um, I, 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 I've been thinking about it. I don't think there's that much difficulty in comparing players 
plays of different eras in in the effect while while the physical side of the game changed and while you know sort of um uh, you know sort of the tactics and you know um, nutrition all that sort of thing I, I think you can look at the effect a player has on his team mm-hmm. and on his teammates and how he deals with the opposition I mean I think it's quite easy and I think only a, a fool would you know sort of look at the, the history of football and not say that the Maradona and Pele uh, head and shoulders above everyone correct I mean after that they you know sort of the the, the arguments start but I mean Maradona for example it, it always seems fairly simple to me take any other player in the history of the game put him in Argentina team in 1986 do Argentina win the World Cup no so you know it's but 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 here I, I mean I guess what, what, what you're saying is that you can contextualize the impact an individual has on a team but yeah. I, you know and, and, and I'm going to th- throw this to George I, the in absolute terms, I mean, I, I had this discussion with uh, our, our, our producer, who our excellent producer, uh, Ped, who's filling in for the lot less talented Chris Skinner. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the idea that, I mean, if, if we were to take West Ham today, this West Ham team we saw uh, play against Fulham, uh, George, and transport them back through history and have them play the 1968 Manchester United European Cup winners, um, I, would it be absurd to suggest that West Ham would probably win f- simply because their players are bigger, stronger, faster, fitter? I don't think I don't think it would be absur- absurd. No, I mean, and if you look at also fields of human endeavour, the sort of improvements have been uh, you know extraordinary over the last sort of twenty, thirty, forty. 40 years I don't you know if if the West Ham team of today however was playing on a quagmire of a pitch um, you know using a, a very heavy leather ball um, how much would that you know how much would that change things so uh, yeah, I mean everything has to have a has to have a context I think if you take a player from 30, 40 years ago and line them up alongside somebody somebody now you're going to have a you know it would be very very difficult but then you know put them back in conditions that were played in back then then you know that would sort of even the playing field a bit it's so difficult it's so difficult to know to know what would happen hey patty i i i, I know this was before your time but it was closer to your time i think than, than any of our times yes. i went and online and, and i found all the youtube footage of yeah. stanley matthews that yeah. that i could possibly find and you know, I grew up with like most people. We're not growing up here, but you know, you grew up with the legend of Stanley Matthews and you know whatever else. And 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 I saw him and, and I saw him dribble. And I, in all the footage I saw, I saw a guy standing still, receiving the ball, dancing over the ball, and then either putting it across or laying it off to somebody. Yeah. I never once saw him beat a man <laughs> and accelerate away. Yeah. Now it might just be the limited footage that that that, that we have, but. Is the legend of Stanley Matthews compared to, you know, maybe even some of his contemporaries, is that modulated by the fact that he did it in a big game and he played on until he was 100 years old and he was better spoken and he did those adverts for cigarettes or, or whatever it was? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I think if you if you, if you you showed, uh, if, if Matthews came into the game today, people would say, yeah, he's got a chance, but he lacks a trick. And of course, I mean, I mean, I can remember when you when you played in the playground and, 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 and in the streets and you beat a man people would say who do you think you are Stanley Matthews and I mean he was he was uh, he was a byword for for trickery <coughs> at that time of course the game's improved a lot and, and Matthews is a perfect example to take uh, another would be um, Alfredo Di Stefano who at some 
even older timers than me would would argue about mm. Pele, the Pele Maradona. I wouldn't, mm. uh, but they would put him in. <clears throat> if you ever take the trouble, and I, I would recommend it, to watch the 1960 Champions League final um, between Real Madrid and Eintracht, watch it, and you will see some of the worst football. You know, mm. the football that simply you would be laughed at for playing in the in the Blue Square betting league or whatever it's called. <laughs> I think it, it comes down to I mean, there's loads of factors. I mean, I tend to judge people's football knowledge by, you know, who's, who's the best player ever, you know, it's, I mean, you know, it, it, in in the environment. As I say, there are people who say to Stefano, you're old, but generally the people that come up and say, will say Maradon. If they say Maradon, I go, yeah, generally know what they're you know talking they about. They if they say Pelle, you say, well, give them benefits of the doubt but they're close enough <laughs> if they say George Best a laugh so loud because he wasn't even the best player for Manchester United he wasn't the most popular. he was the most talented the most popular most talented, but it, it, yeah well, I think Charlton and Law were better he was the most talented but talent also doesn't add up to making a great player no, it doesn't. Duncan McKenzie could ball juggle and jump over minis but he wasn't a great player but he had more talent than probably most players have ever seen so you know it's um, I, I, I think to, to me and we come back to you know, sort of what I was saying to George earlier on yeah it's great watching players who are talented and do wacky things on the mm. pitch like try to dribble the ball out of defence but what I want to see in a football player I want to see a football player who is part of a team is an organic part of the team and who improves all the people Around yeah. them, some, and Maradona well, there are some was the master of that. There are Did some you? players, though, who for sheer talent would have to qualify as great, and George Best would be one of them. But he wasn't nowhere near as effective or good a player as Diego Maradona, who had all the ta- as much talent as Best, but much more intelligence on the field. I, I, I want to throw up another player from that team, there, George. Um, one of the things that really struck me, looking from from the outside, growing up, is is what. Well, most countries in the world, because we all have our local myths and archetypes, I agree with Tony. You ask who's the greatest player ever, who are the top three. In every country you go to, Pele and Maradona are in the top three. Mm-hmm. And then number three changes based on where you are. If you're in Spain, they'll say Di Stefano. Mm-hmm. If you're in Holland, they might say Cruyff. In Germany, yeah. Beckenbauer. In England, they'll, they'll usually say Best. Uh, and in Scotland, they might say Dennis Law. Um, although Tony might say they probably should say Dog Leash. But, um, in Scotland, Baxter. <coughs> or Baxter, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing. So we all have our, our, our local legends and archetypes. What, what I found interesting was growing up, I'd look at, I'd read about Bobby Charlton, who I'd seen play, and I think to myself, okay, so this guy won a million caps. He was the all-time uh, goal scoring, uh, all-time goal scorer for England before um, Cheat broke the record, uh, before Lineker broke the record, um, <laughs> and you know he won as much as the other people. He had a lot more longevity. Is it was there a sense that maybe Bobby Charlton? wasn't given the same consideration as best because his personal story is nowhere near as compelling and you know because he he went prematurely bald and because he's sort of been around with his glasses forever and so we kind of take him for granted the one thing you can say that best had was a massive impact on the culture of the country Bobby Charlton didn't you know he was like uh, you know Bobby Charlton was straight normal buttons up best was you know a symbol of the 60s Um, now who was better on the football pitch didn't kind of matter because you know if you're a symbol of 
a cultural symbol. You get crap airports named after you, but and you know, and, and if you're not, you don't. Odd, oddly, Charlton was much more uh, worldwide. Charlton was much better known than George Best, mm. but <coughs> he was George Best was more sexy for us because we, mm. we we saw him. But the, the world was unaware because George Best was from Northern Ireland. The world mm. was remained unaware of him, and yet Bobby Charlton was. You know, you talk about you know his bald head. He became even more distinctive worldwide because of that. Going back to uh, to a broader point, and I'll try to ask a, a shorter question this time. Um, what's your take on what Tony said? That sort of the, the 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 iconography of the player, in the sense that Pele, for a certain generation, you know, ha- had an impact that went beyond football. I mean, he stopped the war. He was on TV and so on, and um, and Maradona equally Viagra. so. Um, he did the Viagra ad late in his uh, career, but. If you had the misfortune of not being on television, not being born in a country that went to the World Cup, I, does it? Do your achievements pale? Well, I think they have to, don't they? It's not. It's not. Be- I mean, the same could apply to Ryan Giggs, who was the most, you know, decorated player in English football, but we never saw him in a World Cup, so weren't able to judge him against um, against sort of the best, the very, very best players in the world. I mean, I think that that has to be a fact because just as this conversation we're having now, greats versus greats in different eras is a leap of is a leap of faith. So we have to say, oh well, you know, Giggs could have done this, Best could have done that, and we don't know because we don't we don't have the you know we don't have the evidence. And you know, frankly, even if Northern Ireland had, had sort of got to the World Cups when Best played, or the same applied to Giggs, they wouldn't have got very far in them. So um, you know, it's it's probably no coincidence that when we're talking about Maradona and Pele, yes, they were absolutely iconic the most fundamental players in their teams but they were also playing in pretty damn good teams in the first place so um you know they're world cup winners and that's that's something that we're never going to be able to say about about that ilk of player alfredo di stefano never kicked a ball in a world cup but he did play for three different countries so you know he was on his way but he but never played in a world cup and 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 his his achievements were all at, at club level yeah Time now for everyone's favorite part of the show. It's Quick Hits. Manchester United defeat Sunderland 2-0, but Wayne Rooney's goalless streak from open play now extends to 1,324 minutes. Paddy, he has a ways to go before he equals Gary Birdles, but <laughs> given that he's playing well, uh, is, is it a legitimate worry for Manchester United? No, not at all. As you say, he's playing well. He's hitting the post. Uh, he's going to score. Given Steve Bruce's record against Sir Alex and the fact that there were six first-teamers missing, expectations weren't particularly high ahead of Sunderland's trip to Old Trafford, uh, but surely they could have done better. George, why is this team so freaking inconsistent? Well, I'm not sure if I accept the premise of that question. They're unbeaten at home. They've lost four away from home, but four defeats this season is the same as Man City. It's the same as Chelsea. It's less than Arsenal. They're a very, very young team. Um, argue, uh, for, for much of this season, they've been the youngest team in the Premier League. And I think a few growing pains are to be expected. They didn't do very well at Old Trafford, but I think that has much to do with missing personnel and Steve Bruce's tactics. George, thank you for setting me straight. In the battle of the Premier League's up-and-coming manager, Owen Coyle bested Roberto Di Matteo as Bolton won 2-0. Johan Almander set up the first and scored the second and then paid tribute to Avi Cohen, who was recovering in hospital after a car accident. 
Uh, Tony, what do you remember of Avi Cohen, and are you as mystified as I am as to the link between the Swedish big man and the Israeli former Liverpool fullback? No, because um, Avi some plays with uh, Elmander, doesn't he? So you know, it's uh, so that's clearly the link. But uh, Avi Cohen, what I remember most about him, the own goals. Avi was great. Yeah, he scored own goals, scored against Everton, went up the other end and scored one. He was a good, good fullback who wasn't quite good enough to play in the best side in the world and um, no he's, uh, he, he was a breath of fresh air and um, uh, fun to watch Avi Cohen's other uh, contribution of course was the fact that without him Pini Zahavi might never have become a force in world football ah yes mm. Steve Keane will be at charge at Blackburn until the end of the season uh, Paddy as you pointed out recently he has a cosmopolitan background having played in Portugal and coached in Spain uh, but on Sunday Rovers suffered a home loss to Stoke and a number of players most notably skipper Christopher Samba seemed to want to leave. Your thoughts? Uh, well, my thoughts, unfortunately, are that dear old Steve will be uh, parting company with Blackburn uh, when they bring in a new manager. It was clearly uh, their intention when they um, jettisoned Big Sam, the new uh, leadership. Um, I think uh, Steve Keane will be gone uh, in weeks. Wolves lose a relegation six-pointer to Wigan, and Mick McCarthy was up to his gallows humor in commenting on the penalty appeal that was turned down. Uh, George, you saw McCarthy up close and personal at Sunderland. Any reason to believe he can keep Wolves up? It's my black side in the bacon slicer, you know, Gab, as uh, Mick would no doubt say. Yes, I love him to bits. Uh, he did very, very well at Sunderland on a shoestring budget. I fear for them this time. They've conceded more than 30 goals. Um, they have got problems in defence, but um, it looks pretty unsustainable at the moment, and they've got some tough games coming up too. Yeah, Wolves not very lucky this season. Uh, only once in the history of the Barclays Premier League, and we know there was no football before the Barclays Premier League, has a team been bottom of the Barclays Premier League table at Christmas and avoided relegation from the Barclays Premier League into oblivion, because of course that's what's outside the Barclays Premier League. Nothingness, oblivion. But West Ham beat Fulham 3-1 in the Barclays Premier League and are no longer bottom of the Barclays Premier League. Tony, I know how much you love the Barclays Premier League. Was it just an awful game between awful teams, or can West Ham stay in the Barclays Premier League? The preceding question was brought to you courtesy of Barclays Bank. You know, when you look at these Barclays Premier League sides that played yesterday at Craven Cottage, you've got to say that they were absolutely rubbish. Both sides were pretty poor. The reasonable players, badly organised, uh, the scattergun approach that characterises the tactics and the style of the Barclays Premier League today, and I think both of them could well go down. You know what though? The Barclays Premier League will live on without them. Gab, one for you. Inter have picked Leonardo to replace Rafa Benitez as manager. Right choice? And is it true that Rafa leaves Inter having earned some £50,000 a day? Uh, yeah, when you calculate his wages and his uh, payoff, uh, yeah, he's on about three hundred and fifty grand a week, uh, which is even more than uh, one Jose Mourinho, I might, I might add. Um, I, I think uh, uh, Leonardo is actually the right replacement, uh, given the circumstances at Inter. They have to uh, rebuild um, uh, on the cheap. Well, at the same time, having one last go at it with with, with this team, uh, you know, they made a loss of 130 million pounds uh, in, in their last financial year, and in the age of financial fair play, you just can't have that. And Leonardo's hungry, and he's bright, and he's handsome, and he speaks five languages. And what could be better? We'll be back next week with another episode of The Game. In the meantime, you can go to www.thetimes.co.uk. You'll find all your news, your gossip, your analysis, and also our web chats. Mine's on Mondays, Patty's is on Tuesdays, and Ollie Case is on Wednesdays. Also, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm on there at Marcotti. Patty's on there at P. Barkley Times. George is on there at Culkin the Times. And, of course, Ollie Case on there, too. But I believe he's on holiday this week, so we won't mention him. We'll be back next Monday for our first show of 2011 as the games keep coming. 
Thanks so much for your time. Have a great new year, and we'll catch you next year. Till then, ta-ta.